Well, good morning. Did anybody blow off any hands or anything last night? <laughs> yeah, my kids were all lighting fireworks and throwing them in the air, or they were watching kids throw them in the air, and it was like, all of a sudden, we felt old. <laughs> like, you're, you're going to get hurt. Well, we... Uh, We've been in Daniel for a while now. We're in chapter 6 today. Uh, you know, with technology and everything, I, I don't know if Aaron, I don't think Aaron spoke to this when he was up here a little bit ago, but it's not for lack of trying. Uh, we've been, Aaron's been at the computer, put a new black box in, working on that. We've had Hayek here. Uh, they were here Friday. They were here actually yesterday on a holiday um, and trying to make it work. And we're like, all right, it's just not going to work. We'll just go with it. We can worship God without uh, technology. Well, um, Going through Daniel, this, this whole series is Faithful in Exile. And if, you go, if you're kind of new to the series here, you haven't been around, um, the whole book of Daniel is focusing on the, how Nebuchadnezzar went into to Israel, uh, capt- took captive the, uh, the Israelites, brought them back to Babylon, uh, kind of pillaged the, the temple. And they're, they're here in Babylon. And basically, Nebuchadnezzar selected for himself some of the great men of Israel to train them in their way. And so that's where we kind of find ourselves and kind of focused in on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and Daniel. And so Daniel, being this guy that's um, just a guy that's following God. I got to think, you think about some of these things for a minute, and, and, and here Daniel is, they, they take him from where he's at, and they're in this time, Israelites at this time, they have no place to worship. They have to kind of go just worship God on their own because there's no temple for them to go to. Kind of sound familiar, huh? A little bit. Um, and it, and, it's, and they're in this place. And so um, over and over again, they're questioning Daniel. Daniel kind of uses his gifts uh, in the Babylonian kingdom to interpret dreams. They keep coming to him over and over again. He interprets dreams. They, they like his God, and all of a sudden they turn back to where they were. And we see Nebuchadnezzar and the guy last week, what was his name, Aaron? Belshazzar. And we're going to get introduced to a, a new guy this morning. And today, as I was looking at this text, I, I started thinking just of Daniel. And in Daniel, just this word, um, just obedient. That he, he's just an obedient guy. And I think of that word obedient, and we've been talking a lot about that as we've kind of gone through our, our community groups and this idea is like, hey, what are you going to do about what you're reading right now? When, I put it, when obedient comes to my mind, though, obedience is a word that I don't think we oftentimes like. I don't know. What, when, when I say obedient or obey, what comes to your mind? Just throw it out there. What I didn't hear. Parents, okay, I'm going to write this down. This is good. Parents, <laughs> what else? Boss. Boss, is that what it was, boss? Okay. Vice principal. Not the principal, but the vice principal. You must have been one because that's the guy that hand, lays down the law. That's the principal I never want to be because you have to, like, face parents and stuff. Police. It, police? What else? Governor. Governor. Okay. <laughs> are you obey okay what, what else police. we got police yes so parents boss vice principal so when you hear the word obey what comes to your mind parents wife, wife. wife. <laughs> 
wife. So parents, boss, vice principal, police, governor, wife. What else? Authority. What else? Anything? Rules. Rules. Control. Regulations. And I hear I heard something else. I can't remember. God. Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, that I think I think maybe we get the idea. That in the Bible, I mean, it's over a hundred times the word obey comes up. But the first word that we think of when it comes to obey is parents, boss, vice principal, police, governor, with a giggle, uh, wife with a uh, <laughs> authority, rules, control, regulation. And then somewhere along the line we say God. But I think that's, that's I, for me, when I hear obey and I hear God, I think growing up as a kid, that's kind of what I thought about was all these rules that we had, these prohibitive rules that you had. You, you couldn't chew gum in church. You couldn't wear your hat in church. You couldn't, I mean, and, and so when we start to think about rules, all the rules of God seem prohibitive. All the things you just listed are like prohibition. You, you can't do a bunch of stuff. And so when it comes to the church and we start thinking about the word obey, we struggle. Because when we hear the word obey, we go to the, to the negative. Until something that wants to have a thumb down on me and wants to hold me back and hold me down. And so when we get to the Bible, we understand that it says obey, but at the same time, we probably struggle a little bit when it comes to that. And I know that to be a fact because I've talked to some of the community group leaders and we get to that question, that I will question, and it's like, yeah, I ain't doing that one. I, I'm not, or I'm not gonna tell you, we'll let everybody else do it, but I'm not going there. And so this idea that someone's gonna have authority over me or someone that's gonna have control over me, I, I don't like that. And the problem with that is, is there's a whole lot of pro, prohibitive things. But when you look to the Bible, in the scriptures, all the pro prohibitive things are pointing to something that's more proactive. You think about it for a second. The proactive things of scripture, what he wants us to do is to love him, right? To love God. Or up here, love God and love people. And you start thinking about the things he asks us to do. You go to a Ten Commandment. He says to don't, don't covet. So when you covet, what's that do to relationships? Don't bear false witness. Has anybody ever said anything bad about you or said something that wasn't true about you? It's never happened to me. <laughs> it's, it, it, it tears up relationships. You think about having another God before him. What's that do to your relationship with God? It messes it a little bit. And so with this word obedience or to obey, we struggle with because all we think is it's the negative and God's like, it's not negative. It's proactive. It's for our good. This, some of the, the things I'm telling you in Scripture that maybe you shouldn't think about a little bit is that I, I want you to have a better relationship with me. I want you to have a better relationship with people. I want you to be in relationship. And if you listen to what I'm telling you, these things will be a little bit better. And you're getting along the road a little bit. The word obey, if you look it up in the dictionary, obedient, is basically submitting to another's will. And so it kind of describes all those things I just said, right? But when you think about submitting, 
We don't like that word either. That's a whole other negative word we don't like. And we can't, I've, I don't know how many weddings I've done. They're like, well, just don't say that word. Don't, you can say anything you want, but don't say that one. And we, we struggle with that one. But it, when we think about submitting and submitting to another's will, in Scripture, whose will are we talking about? God's will. And so when you start to think about God's will, what is God's will for us? God's will, he, he says in Scripture, to be holy as I am holy. And what's holy mean? It means to be set apart. And God has chosen us to be set apart. He, he chose us. He sent his son to the cross for us. His cross went to the son and died for us so that we can, so that we can have life. And so that, we would, so that we would live for him. And his whole desire is, is for us is to submit to his will. And that submitting to his will isn't a bad thing. It's actually a, a good thing. And so the idea for us is this idea is that we need to submit to his will to be, and to be holy and to be set apart for his will. And set apart, we're set apart by God to be like God so that we can participate with God. So we're set apart by God to be like him so that we can participate with him so the world might see him. And when you start part, thinking through this a little bit, and you can let go a little bit, that he sets us apart. And so we come to Daniel, and you look at Daniel, and here's Daniel who has been removed from his country. He's taken from his position, whatever position he was in, I, think, I don't think he was 20 when he got there, possibly. And so here, this guy, just out of his teens, <laughs> probably had thoughts of what life was going to be like, and they take him, and they, he has to go, he's in captivity in Babylon, now he has to serve a king that's not his king. But you read, when you read through Daniel, and we, every single week, we, I mean, we've come to Daniel, you're like, wow, Daniel's pretty good, isn't he? It doesn't tell his emotions, his frustrations possibly at night, what he was thinking about and what he didn't like. But we see that he was submitted to God's will. And you also see that he was submitted to authority. He was submitted to whoever was over him. And he had, now he's on his third king today. <laughs> But Daniel, here he is submitting to, to authority and submitting to the will. And he, he has every right to be upset. He has every right to be in a place where he doesn't like it. He's every right. But he's been set apart by God. And then we've seen, now we're in the sixth chapter, but for the first five weeks, we see him being like God so that people might see God. And you see that in Nebuchadnezzar. You see that in the, the king from last week who ended up getting removed. <laughs> and you're going to see today in Darius is that because he was like God and participated with God, people saw God. And I think that's where we struggle sometimes is because we, we see obedience and we see this as something we can't do. And God's like, no, I have so much more for you. I, I want so much more for you, but you have to be able to submit and surrender to me. And you think about when God has a will for you, maybe, when you start showing you some things, and it's not really what you want. And if it goes a week or a month, and you're like, all right, God, it's been a month. When are you going to do this? I've been praying. How many of you guys have been praying for a year? I've been praying for a year. I've been praying for two years been praying for three years for this. And some of you might have children. You've been praying for it for a lifetime. You're like, God, when's this going to happen? 
And I think at the end of the day, it's always in God's timing. Because today, I think we're in Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, with, with Daniel, I think he's been in the kingdom this, for 60 years. And he's continuing in this. And so we, we, we show up with Daniel, and it says, follow along with me in verse uh, 1 in chapter 6. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over the three presidents of whom David was one, to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Hold on to that one. There's an excellent spirit in him. And the king planted, uh, planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the president and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find no grounds for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find... Uh, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in the connection with the law of his God. And so you hear, they're looking at Daniel. Darius is uh, now the king. He sets him up. He's going to actually, he becomes a president, <laughs> one of the three, and they set him above. And everybody else is getting jealous, right? They're like, this is not fair. We, we want to make, we want to try to find fault. It, and so this guy's holding himself up. He's holy. He's set apart. He's, he's bearing God's image. He's participating and being who God wants him to be. And now he's getting tore down. And so they're go, they said, what did they say about him? He had an excellent spirit. And so that's it. Here, here he's after 60 years, this guy's still going strong. He goes, this is not really where I want to be. I'd really would probably rather be back in my home. I continue to serve my God. He continues to show up. So that's probably that's good. But they tried to find fault in him. And they couldn't find any fault in him. And I think sometimes for some of us, is that a lot of times we'll step up and we'll do what God wants us to do, but yet there's all kinds of other things and people, they look at us and they're like, uh, I don't know if I trust that person because of this or because of that. I know for myself, as I've gone through life, there's been times where I've tried to stand up and do the right thing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Someone was calling. Uh, when I've tried to do the right thing, and then you step back and people are like, well, I don't know if I trust you because of this or because of that. But with Daniel, they say they found no fault in him. And the idea here is that when you're doing the will of God and you're bearing God's image and participating with him, the, the whole plan here is so that people might see God. And sometimes we tap in, we're like, all right, I'm all God. And then a couple days later, we're like, I'm not all God. And, and, and we get confused, and people can find fault because they're not seeing straight, because you're like, this one day and this the next day. And then at the end of the day, it's hard to see God. And, but here, they say, Daniel, we found no fault. We couldn't figure out anything. And so you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go after his God. And so verse six, it says this, it says, then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps 
the counselors and the governors are, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or, or man for 30 days, except for you, O King Darius, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document in the injunction. So these guys come to the king. He's now king. He's a new king, right? And so he, they're like, hey, you should be the man. Let's make sure everybody knows you're it. The problem with that is, is that Sirius, or is it Sirius was the king overall, and he had kind of handed down that you could be, the, key, the religion was free. You could do whatever you want with your religion. But Darius came in, they, they kind of put this injunction in there that, no, you could only worship King Darius for right now. And so, you know the story. I'll keep going, though. Verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber, opened towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And so Daniel kind of saw, saw this going on. He saw what was happening, and he goes, oh, here we go again. And he, and he goes to his room. And some people might say, well, come on, Daniel, why didn't you just give it for three, I mean, for, for a week, can you give it up for 30 days? Just, I mean, pray without the windows open at least. Don't open the windows. Don't everybody let everybody know you're doing it. Doesn't the Bible, somewhere does it say to pray in silence? Didn't Jesus say that? Can't we use that one? But it wasn't around at that particular point. But Daniel, as we've seen through each chapter, wanted everybody to know where his strength came from. That it wasn't him that was good. It was his God that was good. And he wanted everybody to know that. And I think sometimes when we look at life, we kind of justify we try to figure things out for ourselves, and it's like, Daniel's like, no, I'm, that's my king. When I went to him for the dream, he gave me the interpretation. I went to him the next dream, he gave me the interpretation. It's God who is the authority, not me. And I'm submitted to his will. I obey his will. And so he goes and he prays, as he had done previously. So it wasn't anything new to him. You know, I, I think sometimes for ourselves, it's when we think about prayer, how active is prayer for you? Sometimes we're trying to figure out where God is or what God's will is, and then how often have you prayed? I've read the Bible, but I'm not sure. And God wants to be in relationship with us. Daniel went three times a day and prayed to his God. And then you wonder, well, how was God, Daniel so connected? Well, he had a relationship with his God. And so he prayed to him. And it, he served him with his whole heart. Now, verse 11 says, then these men by agreement, uh, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The things stand fast according to the laws of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles 
from Judah pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So they trapped him. Then verse 14 kind of tells you what, where Daniel stood with Darius. It says, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver, to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And so they come to him and they're like, we got Daniel. Ha <laughs> ha. And he's like, crud. Now I got to stand by my word or do something about it. I, I got to figure something out. When I was reading this, it took me back to when I was a youth pastor. I was in Palm Springs at this camp called the Oasis. Uh, it, was, it was Oasis Park. We called it Oasis because that was the name of the place we went. It was a water park. And a bunch of churches came together, but there, was like, there were condominiums that we stayed in. And so you have high schoolers that are boys and girls, and you're like, all right, guys, boys can't be in girls' rooms, and girls can't be in boys' rooms. And all the counselors are like, yeah, you can't be, you're like, they're telling me I have to, to make sure they understand these things. The counselors want to make sure I back them. I'm like, yes. And so we're there. It's the first day. I just like, all right, everybody understand that? Break. I walk back to my room, and my phone rings. And they're like, uh, there's a boy in a girl's room. It's like the first day. It's like, like a half hour later. And so it's this kid that uh, I like a lot, and this girl that I've never seen since. Uh, I'm like, what are you doing, Robert? He's like, I wasn't even doing anything. I just stepped in a little bit. And he's like, I had all these excuses. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, you just got here. And then I go back to my counselors and their meeting, and they're like, you said. And I'm like, but can't we just, like, oh, man, they weren't doing anything, were they? And I had to stand on my word. If you don't stand on your word now, it's going to be a rough week. And I'm like, ah. Uh. And I sent them home. Parents had to come get them. The one, Robert hated me forever. The other girl goes, I understand. You made a rule. Never talked to the girl. Robert still loves me to this day. <laughs> but it was hard. I, so I, when I was reading this, I said, King Darius, I understand what you're going through. You kind of like Daniel. He's going to be a president. You want to set him up. And now, bummer. And so verse 15 it says, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians and that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own senate and with the senate of those lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. In verse 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So he went back to his room. He fasted. He couldn't sleep. He's like, what did I do? On the other hand, what do you think Daniel's thinking over and over again? I mean, he trusts God. We're all looking. It's Daniel. Of course he trusts God. He had no issue with it. He was going to get thrown into the den. He knew his God was going to come through for him. Have you ever been there? When it's up against the wire and you, you made a decision to follow God and all of a sudden now it's not in your hands anymore? 
And now, God, are you going to save me? And, and Daniel, in this sense, gets thrown into the lion's den. And the king's like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? And he, he knows that he's heard of Daniel. He's heard that Daniel's king's come through for him. And so, verse 16, it says, Then the king commanded, uh, I was already there. Verse 19, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I have found blameless. I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. And the king commanded that those men, oh, I'll stop there. Um, and so here's Daniel, he gets brought up. And what's the first thing he says to Darius? I don't know, if someone comes against you and then signs a senate and says, you're going into the lion's den, and then he comes and finds you, what's your, what's your first thought after your God rescue you? Do you have a little pride? Are you a little frustrated, a little bit angry at this guy that did this to you? But D Daniel says, oh, king, I've been saved by my God. And we look at it, this Bible, well, this is a Bible story, right? But is your God alive and active and like that? Is he, is, he, is he participate with you in this life? Do you trust him like Daniel trusted him? And I, and I look at this story and you think about it. You think about the impact, though, that he had on this king. The, this guy didn't sleep all night. He couldn't eat. The first thing in the morning, he ran to see where Daniel was. Daniel and his service to the king kind of changed the king. I don't know. How about us, guys? Where are we at? When you think about maybe who you work with, maybe, maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's, your, it's school. Maybe you have a job and you're working for somebody. It's your boss. Do you serve your parents? Do you serve the king? Do you serve your teacher? Do you serve the people that you're around like you're serving your king of kings. That's a tough one, isn't it? And this is where Daniel's at. He, he served the king like he was serving his king, as if he was serving his king. And where we struggle as human beings is like, that guy doesn't deserve my service. And even though they didn't, he didn't, they didn't believe like Daniel believed, they didn't think like Daniel think, but Daniel continued to serve. Verse 19. All right, I was already at 19. Back to 24. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before the, uh, they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And then 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that... In all my royal uh, dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. We're to be holy. We're to be set apart for God. 
to be like God and to participate with God. Here Daniel is, he did that and he made an impact. And King Darius is like, hey, I trust your God. I see him operating through you. I see him in you. I see what he's doing through you. And he goes on and he says, For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall uh, be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And then the last verse says, So this Daniel proposed during the reign of Darius and the reign of Sirius the Persian. Now you see that you listen to the story, you're like, that's really neat. God did a kind of cool thing there for Daniel. And that's, that's kind of Bible times, but it's not these times. And I was this week, last week, watching a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves, and it's about this, what's going on in Iran right now. And I was kind of intrigued because we're in Babylon, we're kind of studying Babylon kind of through Daniel. And you know where Babylon is? It's Iraq. You know what's next to Iraq? It's Iran. And in Iran, in, in those Persian countries now, right now, Christianity is exploding. And I was listening to the story of this young girl that's leading some of the movements. In Iran right now, most of the move, a lot of these things are being done by women. And they're, and they're leading. And, this, and it's just, I was listening to this one story of this girl. I wanted to show it today, but we have no video. <laughs> and so I'll just try to tell you about it. Um, but this girl tells a story. She says at the age of five, her dad retired and her dad started bringing a guy around the house that was his business partner. And his business partner began to molest her. And after a period of time, uh, she told her mom that this was happening and her dad, mom told dad, dad began to beat her. And so the story, as she went on, she just had no respect for men. She was scared of men. Her mom was, was an atheist, so kind of basically turned her against God. And as time went on, she grew. She hated herself. She tried to kill herself multiple times with pills. Until the last, multiple times failed, and finally she tried to hang herself. And she had a noose around her neck, and her mom, somehow some program came on. And her mom and her paid attention to it for a minute. And this guy on the other side was talking about Jesus, talking about God and what God can do for you. And that God was real. That God loved you. And so she's like, whatever, God doesn't love me. He's never taken care of me. I've had to go through my life like this. She walked away from the program. Her mom stayed in front of the program. Her atheist mom, guess what her mom did? Mom accepted Christ. And she, from that, her, she was upset and angry. But at the, the one thing I did forget about the mom, the mom had MS and was getting to the end of her life and was struggling. And so she went, she said, just come listen to this guy talk. And she's, no, this guy, I'm not. Your God is not real, your God's not alive. And she said, and so she went back to her room and she um, and was there and she said, if this God is, she still had the noose around her neck, she said, if this God is real, um, show me you're real. And so she was in her room Mom was in her room and she heard this squeal and she was thinking maybe her mom passed. And she kind of got up It went down the hall and her mom with MS was walking normally down the hall. And her mom was healed. And she was just 
she went back to the program, and this guy, she says, she's basically, she says, your God healed my mom. She realized, your God healed my mother. And at that point, accepted Christ, and now this particular person's leading in Iran hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus, to God, and then to Jesus because of, because of this. And you think that the God's not, God's not active and alive. You don't, sometimes we just like, is he like that? He doesn't operate like that in America, but he does. God is active. And he is alive. And it's, sometimes it's difficult to see. Sometimes you don't feel like he's uh, there. You don't feel like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, but he does. I, I could tell you, uh, oh, I don't know, sometime three or so years ago, I, I was just, I started praying for some, some stuff, praying for reconciliation, praying for stuff to happen. And this weekend I sat with someone that I was praying for. And they were praying the same prayer. As I sat with them, and you know what? I, they said, I, I started going through Genesis and Exodus, and I just started praying every single day that God would do something here. And as I sat and listened to this person say, you know what? I seeked God out. And for me, I'm over on the other side going, I'm seeking God going, I don't understand how you work, God. In this situation, I don't feel, I don't know what I could do in this situation. I couldn't do anything different. I felt like I did what you wanted me to do. But at the end of the day, how did it get here? And as I sat there with this person the other day, I was just like, it's amazing. That God is alive and active even sometimes when we think he's nowhere to be found. And how are you going to work? We so get so confused. You see how God operates. You go through Daniel. You're like, they get thrown into a lion's den. They're in captivity. You get thrown into the fiery furnaces. Why does God operate the way he operates? Why does he take so much time? Why does he take the time he takes? Why can't he act a little bit faster? And the reason is God has his, it's his will that we're set apart to be like God we're set apart to be like him so that we can proclaim him to other people. And when we're like him and we live in his will, other people see him through us. The problem is we struggle so much with our own will. And we have a hard time submitting to it. I know for, my, for myself in that I just, just kind of... I. I telling you that story now, but at the end of the day for myself, I've been the last few weeks trying to, all right, God, what is it that you want of me? And I, I steps, took a step back and looking at my life going, I'm, I, I'm at this place right now, and I'm like, I'm, I need to know what you want of me because I've been battling and fighting and struggling, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm battling and struggling and fighting against my own people. And, and, it, and it gets tough sometimes. And I'm like, God, what do you want of me? in this moment. And so I stepped back, and I, I, actually at this particular point, I'm gonna ask the elders to come up, if they would. And it said, that I guess like God was telling me what I should do, and I'm like, all right, God, but I don't wanna do that, because I have things I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna show, I want to be, I wanna, I'm kind of like a control freak, I don't know if you guys know this or not. But I stepped back, it's like, all right, God, what do you want of me? And so started talking with the elders about some of this, and so I'll let them take over at some point. For this, um, 
So just as Mike was saying, and just speaking for the eldership, we're, we're excited about this time right now and what, how God's leading and how he's directing. Um, you know, just such out of a, a place of health and excitement about what's, what's going on. Um, when Mike was talking about obedience today, where we were finding in uh, Daniel, but you see it throughout scripture. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a year ago, or I don't know the time frame, but we went through um, uh, Francis Chan, a book in, in our small groups, and talking about, he talks about so many times, if you had scripture, just had scripture, and you were going completely off that, what would you come up with? What would, what would you do with your life? What would church look like? And one of the themes throughout that that God has brought me back to is, um, is Sabbath and obedience to that. And uh, so we have the opportunity and excited about that for Mike right now and for his family to um, take a sabbatical um, with things. And it's long overdue um, when we look at scripture and when we follow it and when we look at um, just the last several years. Would have loved to have been able to do this three, maybe even up to three and a half years ago. It would have been, it was due then. But circumstances being what they were for the last few years, that, that wasn't, wasn't feasible at the time. But now is the time for that. It's, it's been long overdue. The timing is great now, um, especially with summer, just for Natalie and the kids and the key role that they'll play in that to be able to be a part of that. Um, so that's, that's why now. Uh, with things. Kind of just so you know what things will look like, there's, um, as an eldership, we've uh, looked at, talked to some other people about this. We've come up with ideas of our own and came up with this. Kind of a three-part structure to this time for, for Mike and for his family. Um, first part being kind of a unwind, decompress, if that makes sense to you. Um, then the second part, the middle part, will be like the work session of of the sabbatical time for him to um he'll be talking to some other pastors some some work i guess would be the way of it the structure part of it and then the third part will be the reboot kind of re-entry into things with um taking that rest time that sabbath time and then taking that work time and starting to apply that and to to re-entry and to reboot so we're as a whole, I can speak for everybody up here excited about that and just looking forward to what, how God's going to lead and how he's going to direct uh, and the blessings that are going to come out of that for all of us here. So um, I'll let... And Sabbath really is a concept that we first see in Genesis and at the end of creation, God taking time to rest. And, uh, and that as an example, not because he needed rest, but because he needed to show us what it was like to be able to refocus on who he is. We see it throughout the Old Testament in Leviticus uh, that there was seasons of, of Sabbath, not even uh, just for people, uh, but for fields. And so they would plant a field for six years and then 
on the seventh, give it a rest so that it could recuperate and it could be ready for a new season of growth and uh, bearing fruit. And uh, we even see it in, in seasons of what they call jubilee, that debts would be forgiven, that uh, families' land would be gifted back to them, that people who had come into uh, accepted slavery because they owed a debt and they were under uh, a family, uh, that they would be released from from that. And so this thought of Sabbath or sabbatical is one that we find throughout scripture and one that we're just wanting to continue to follow. And uh, as as that example in scripture of, of time every seven days or every seven years, uh, you're going on 30 years in ministry. So we may have missed a few uh, in there. Um, and so again, this is other than him being able with his family three years ago, which would have been the most ideal. This is next to as ideal as we can get as, as Mike just goes to refresh his soul, to focus on God, on his family, to come back for a, another season of fruitfulness and of growth. And so we are, are excited uh, to be talking about this and sharing with you this morning. So now I think we're going to go all the way across. Dan. All right. So uh, we didn't say how long he was going to be gone. Correct. <laughs> I, I, I that. Okay. <laughs> so he's only going to be gone three months, but three months can be uh, enough. We, well, hopefully, we believe three months would be appropriate for, for Mike and his family. So um, <clears throat> Bob is going to lead us in prayer here in a moment. Uh, before he does, um, we just, it, I'm, everything has been said, it's like the elders are in so much agreement and encouraged together to send Mike off to, uh, to, to um, continue in his development of his relationship with God, the Father, and to see him and to be detached from here and more attached from a new perspective. So we're excited about what God is going to do in Mike and Natalie. Uh, so uh, our part here is, as the next three months go by, to support him in prayer. So prayer is going to be really, really huge in what happens in their lives. And that's your responsibility, my responsibility, and I just want you to know that you're a part of what's going on. And we're all a part of what's going on. And we're going to be getting updates now and then from Mike and Natalie. So um, just keep that in mind, that uh, we're going to be with him in spirit, and we're going to be supporting him through our prayers. Thanks, Dan. Um, Natalie, would you please come join us? would like everybody to... Yeah. We are excited about this. Um, if you'll, I'd like everybody to stand with us and just to be in agreement with us as we pray this morning, just for Mike and Natalie as they go on this. Um, yeah, just, um, you can reach out, just, just be in agreement, please. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we do praise you for this opportunity. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Lord. You are the God who knows all. And just, just, we follow you, Lord. Help us to, to just be.
be the people you'd have us to be. Lord, we lift up Mike and Natalie and their family right now. We commit them to you, Lord. We ask that your spirit would just be upon them in a mighty way, Lord, to touch them, to lead them, to guide them, to instruct them. Lord, in, in your ways and what you would have. Help them, Lord, as they go through this time of, of decompression, of rebuilding, the work involved. Uh, we, the elders have shared with Mike and Mike's shared with us, and so we know what's, what's God's got to do, but we know you are a God who is able. We thank you, Father, again for this opportunity, for your leading, for your guiding. Watch over them, protect them, just, uh, just bless them, Lord, in a mighty way. And Lord, we just uh, we look forward, Father, to hearing all that you're going to do uh, in their lives and what's, what's ahead. So Father, we just praise you in your precious name. Amen. You can remain standing. You guys can go down if you want. I'll just wrap up here. Um, yes, continue to be in prayer for Mike and Natalie uh, uh, throughout this season. We'll be giving you things to be praying for. And uh, what a picture even of Darius uh, who went and fasted and prayed because of the one that he loved. Uh, Interesting picture for us to be able to join them in that. But uh, uh, we uh, normally often have communion at this time. If you've been here the last number of weeks, you know that we are encouraging everybody to share communion within their community groups. If you're not a part of a community group, today is a great opportunity to get connected to one of those. So come and see uh, me. I'd love to talk with you or one of the elders that you just saw up here about getting into a community group. Uh, we also have communion elements right out in the lobby. So if you wanted to take those home, with you. You can do that. We have some space downstairs just past the coffee bar. You can take those elements downstairs. And if you wanted to have just a few moments this morning, you can do that as well. Uh, if you have prayer requests, please put them on the prayer wall uh, on your way out. And uh, if you were wanting to share uh, in this ministry through your offering or giving, there are baskets both at the back door if you leave this way in the lobby that you could drop those in. So thank you so much. It's great to be here worshiping with you. Uh, the band's going to come up and uh, we're going to sing kind of a closing song as we just continue to celebrate together. But let me pray uh, once more. God, you are so good. God, you're so good to us when we don't deserve it. God, we, you are so gracious to us over and over again. God, I thank you for that. God, I just ask that you would be at work in our lives as we each seek to leave this space and uh, be obedient. I uh, thank you for Mike and Natalie's obedience as they have just searched you and your heart and what you want for them. Uh, God, allow us uh, to, to partner with them uh, in this season. God, uh, I, I thank you for being at work in people who would just listen to you. God, and be bold enough to follow you into scary places, into uh, spots and, and um, circumstances that are uncomfortable. God, that we uh, would just trust in you in the same way that Daniel did. Uh, God, he knew that you were at work, shutting the mouths of lions, uh, not so that he would be saved, ultimately, but that your name would be glorified. And we ask that you would use us in a similar way, God, that our lives, not in our own strength, but through your strength, would just point back to you. God, you are so good to us. We worship you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.